I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on autism Actual answers today. Answers, 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 answers. Questions, questions, questions are, what do you do if you're at the IEP? How do you deal with IEPs? Do you hate the dreaded IEP? IEP, what does it stand for? But before we get into the guest and the question and the answer and all that fun kind of stuff, don't forget who I really am. I am Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. Otherwise known as, actually, here's a funny thing. I've been saying otherwise known as for a long time, and I, I was looking there and going, now why would they do otherwise known as as AKA? That doesn't make any sense at all. Okay, so apparently it's also known as, also known as <laughs> the brain broad. That's me, Lynette Louise, the brain broad, a little bit goofy, a little bit fun. And remember to stay to the very end of the show where I will live up to my story teacher host name and do Stories from the road. So today we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk about IEPs. We're going to talk about that with somebody whose name is Mike Robinson. He's from the Coalition for the Rights of Disabled People. I think it's appropriate to talk about this sort of thing at any time, but it's especially good because it's Autism Awareness Month. And we want to honor the fact that all this attention is going to autism awareness. And one of the things you want to be aware of is your rights and how to cope with them and what to do and what you can do and what you can't do and all that stuff. But before we get there, I want to tell you a little piece of, a little short, short, short story so that Mike doesn't have to wait too long. Um, and that is that when I was raising my kids, we didn't have IEPs. It was called something else um, back then in Canada, but it was the same concept. I think it was the art or something, but whatever it was called, um, it was a problem for me many times. And one time that really jumps to mind was when I had uh, the problem of a staff member who I perceived as not handling my child right and not liking my child. And so I was in the meeting and I was trying to say, you know, this is all well and good, but I really don't want my child with this person. And so I had no idea if I had the right or not. I certainly had the passion and the gusto, and I was willing to fight the fight. But um, it took quite some time to unravel the whole thing, and I ended up getting lawyers and all kinds of stuff. So I wish at that point in my journey that I had already been armed with information before walking into that meeting instead of having to do it ad hoc. So what we're going to find out today is today's question. Okay, let's make the question. I'm not going to make a million questions. I'm going to pick one. We're going to answer it. The question is, okay, do you as a parent have the right to say that person doesn't get to work with my child? Let's find out. Mike Robinson is here with us. Um, he's got like this huge bio, and it's it's 
paragraph form. And I usually, I usually have to pull out something so I can give you a good sense of who they are. But he's actually, um, he's too many things. Okay, Mr. Robinson's field of study is in international relations and diplomacy with a planned entrance into the U.S. ambassadorship program. As a non-attorney representative, one of the things you have to know about him is, is that he also has a disability himself. But here's the paragraph I like the best, so I'm going to read it. Mr. Robinson is a key supporter of individuals with epilepsy across the globe, with a following that numbers in the thousands on public networks. Now, why I think this is important is because our, our kiddos often, often, often have comorbid um, epilepsy or seizure disorders. So guess what? He used to be a motorsports professional and a mortgage banker, broker, and then he had a huge end to his promising career and ended up devoting a very large percentage of his life to the cause of helping others. And that's how he ended up. Well, he's a board member for Big Brothers, Big Sisters in the 90s, Tenant Rights Board in Hawaii, all kinds of stuff. It goes on and on with a bunch of letters I don't even know what they mean. And it just basically says, here's someone you can count on to give you answers and help you and fight for you. And hello, and thank you for being here, Mike. Hello. You know, what you just had to talk about, I think, was just a great thing. Um, you know, whether or not you can decide who is going to work with you or who is going to work with your child um, in a, a dispute regarding the educational program for your child. And, you know, during Autism Awareness Month, I think it's really important to concentrate on how our kids eventually become adults that, that can contribute to the world. My son is nearing age 21. He's nonverbal and autistic, and he's doing really good because he's had great IEPs. But to, to come to the answer to that question that you had, we can't decide who a, de a district will staff and who they won't staff. Oh, no, that's not the answer I want. I <laughs> Go no, on. <laughs> uh, you know, I have a current docket open that I can't comment too much on specifically where it's at, but it is in America. And it has to do with an individual that's really not capable of handling the job. So instead of saying, I don't want, you know, Mrs. A to handle uh, this particular therapy for, for the child, Instead, the way it has to be attacked is Mrs. A is not qualified because of these different reasons. And that takes a lot of evidence. Generally, it takes bringing the case to hearing, uh, which would be a due process hearing, and that's way down the line. You know, generally, when there is a dispute, generally you have a resolution period, a mediation period, and then if nothing gets settled, it does go to due process hearing, which is maybe 5% of all claims. But and where is the child during that whole process? They're, they're standing in front of what I call a brick wall, and that brick wall is called stay put. Stay put is automatically invoked any time a parent files for due process. So that means the child stays with their current educational programming. Whatever IEP or education plan was in effect stays in effect until the outcome of the hearing or a settlement. Wow. You know, something like that happened to my son where um, I suspected that he was being abused by somebody and we ended up calling the police and all kinds of stuff and um, he was in a stay put for a while so I, I did a call him in sick. And you got to be careful with that one and I'll tell you why. Whenever you do the call him in sick thing, truancy comes into play. And now you have a truant officer at your door or you have 
council for a school district contacting you or for me, for example, as a representative for the child, saying that the child missed this many days, school policy and state policy or the country's policy could be a certain number of days maximum, and then the child's truant, and then they start going after the parent for everything, for all their kids. So that's one thing that has to be taken into consideration uh, when there is a due due process based on a dispute in the education plan meetings, is that that all the elements of the home have to be intact. Um, I would never suggest somebody to file a due process if they have, you know, something going on within their home that could cause attention and could cause problems for them. So, wow, it's much more complex than we think. So what are our rights at the IEP then? Well, your rights at the IEP definitely aren't given in the little procedural safeguards package that people generally get when they go to the IEP. They extend much further into what many people call the IDEA 2004, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. It's actually the IDEIA. It's an improvement act. Um, so it's up to legally uh, consider the IDEA, excuse me, the IDEIA 2004. Now, within that, there are certain provisions for handling a dispute. A parent can file for mediation only. I don't suggest that because it doesn't really put a whole lot of, uh, of, of liability on the district. All they have to do is hold a mediation, and if you don't agree, it's done. Um, generally, it's what's filed for is a due process with mediation. So it's sort of a, a drawn-out situation where many think nothing can be done as far as IEPs, et cetera, during that, and that's not true. But it, it offers many different elements in order to resolve the, the complaint or the dispute. Um, and the reason why I say that that's the way to go is it allows for the resolution period to take place, which is mandatory. It allows for the mediation process, which is a great way to resolve disputes without hearing. And then if nothing else works, the hearing is unscheduled. So a parent's not filing for one thing when they could get the whole, you know, ball right there. Instead of filing for, you know, one matchstick, they get a whole book of matches with the with the actual due process with mediation filing. So okay, I so suggest we, that's the way to go. Okay, so we started this uh, from the problem perspective. Let's let's go from a different perspective for a second. Let's say that you're, you know, your child's in a school and and you, as far as you're concerned, it's going quite well. You you think everything's pretty good. Um, they called an IEP. You're going to go to the IEP. How do you prepare yourself? What do you, like, to what degree do we want um, parents informed so that they're cooperative and helpful without, you know, stirring up a bunch of feisty, defensive, placard-carrying, um, we're going to, you know, we're going to cause more trouble than we're going to solve uh, attitude? Well, that's an awesome question because a lot of times parents are already upset over something. There's something that's already on their mind before they enter that IEP. It's very important that parents go into an IEP armed with the facts. So what, what you'd want to look at would be actual assessments done, evaluations done, and the recommendations on those evaluations. Those are basically your building blocks for, for creating goals uh, for the child to meet. And the goal creation is your building blocks for creating the actual program. 
because a program must support the meeting of those goals. So a parent should really try to pull back the emotion, and that's a hard thing to do. As a parent myself, you know, I started doing this in 1996 after dispute with my son's school district when he was three years old. Pulling back emotion at first was impossible, but over the years I've learned to do it. And by doing that, you're able to concentrate on the actual facts and not what you're, what's stirred up inside of you. And, and by looking at the facts, you're able to say, well, when, when one team member, and we have to remember, it's one parent and seven or eight or maybe ten people from the school district, so it's really lopsided. You know, so a parent, a parent says, well, you know, I would like this, and the school district says no. Well, if a parent can go back to an assessment and say, you know, well, Dr. ABC said we need to do this. If you look at page five of his assessment, this is his recommendation. Now, if a parent's gone in armed with that information, it's really hard to argue that. Generally, that's an assessment that the district has ordered. So you're using the district's own information right back at them. Now, in that okay. case, if you, if you end up in a dispute, it's easily settled. It's their information. Okay. And so, and, and to be honest, I mean, its intention is to have all important parties who have a lot of information about that child come together and create a great plan for the year and see how the plan that was put in place is playing out, if it made sense, if it's working. I mean, it's not really supposed to be this argumentative, um, you know, two different camps situation. But it, it's kind of hard as a parent because you're starting from the get-go, you're going to an IEP because your child is considered broken in some way. So there's like a, this is a broken child feeling. And, and we don't feel that way about our kids. We just love them. So, so there's already this kind of, oh, we're all going to assess them like, like there's something wrong with them. And that's, I think, and you're right, that's an emotional place. Got to set it aside and try to create something beautiful, right? Exactly. And, you know, one, one big thing about it is, you know, we go into these meetings and a lot of parents, from what I see, are very intimidated and rightfully so. You know, they're, they're meeting up against, like I said, seven, ten, even a dozen people. So, you know, the lopsided table, a parent wants to give their input. Often they're not able to give it, so they get even more frustrated and that emotion builds. And in, in a lot of cases, I have to stop and hold a little five-minute caucus or recess with, with my client during a, a, an IEP somewhere in the country. I, I do them telephonically. So I, I pull the client aside and I talk to him about it a little bit and bring up the pertinent points that have been brought up. And, and I do this before they go ahead and sign a document that they don't agree with. Because I see that happen so many times where a parent is just so disgusted with it all. They decide, I'm just going to take what I can get. And that's simply not the legislative intent behind the IDEIA. It's meant to actually afford the parent rights under Part B of that act and afford the child rights under the same part. So, and that's really the, the core, the, the law that's used across the U.S. for IEPs and for resolving problems within them. So I think so that's a very important thing. Are the laws the same state to state? Well, the CFR 34 is, is IDEA, and that is the same federal law 
it has U.S. codes that back it up. It gets really, really sticky when it comes to administrative proceedings and all the different laws that 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 are, have to do with how they're handled. Um, but that is the the same law that every state mimics in their education code. Uh, states are allowed autonomy to change certain parts of that IDEA, but they are not allowed to change the Part B part that gives the actual you know, who should be in the IEP, the parental rights, the procedural safeguards, you know, how a due process works, timelines for mediation and resolution. All that's the same. It's, it's universal across the country. Well, what would be an example of something that could be different in Texas than it is in California, for example? Okay, for example, a difference in Texas versus California. The resolution period in under the CFR 34 or the federal law is 30 days. And within 30 days, or within 15 days, there should be a resolution meeting between the school district and the parent. Uh, the advocate or non-attorney rep, like I am, can be there with the parent. But an attorney for the district cannot be in that resolution meeting. That means meant for the district and the parent to work things out, which I believe is very important. Because the less cases that move forward from that point, the better. We're talking about kids not going anywhere. They're that brick wall of state put in front of them. I want to remove it. So right. if it can be removed there, that's awesome. But in Texas, after 15 days, that resolution period closes, and a report goes to the special uh, education hearing officer, or called the state hearing officer. Their initial is an SHO. In California, you have an Office of Administrative Hearings, so you have administrative law judges, much more formal. The resolution period is exact to the CFR 34. So that means it is 30 days long, although the resolution meeting has to be conducted within 15 days. There's a further 15 days after that of cool-off period to continue to try to resolve before it moves into a mediation and then moves into the pre-hearing point of you know, preparing to actually go into hearing and duke it out you know, to see who's right and who's wrong. Okay. So um, I have to do the quick mid-of-the-show break and just remind them what they're listening to. And while I'm doing that, I'm, I'm, t I'm giving you a warning of what I'm going to ask coming out of the break. <laughs> and I thought okay. maybe you could, like, just give us some pointers, you know, like ten pointers or five pointers about great ways and to have a good attitude and, and, and to approach the IEP with the right, right foot forward. So you are listening to A New Spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, also known as the Brain Broad. <laughs> and stay to the very end where we will have stories from the road. And today we are digging into the IEP and talking with somebody from the Coalition for the Rights of Disabled People, Office of Special, Special Education Proceedings, Mike Robinson. So, Mike, do you think you could actually do that, come up with maybe five points? Like, you know, real take-homes for people to think of, okay, I should remember to do this, and I should remember to do this, and I should remember to do this. Sure. I mean, I could do that right off the top of my head. Good. <laughs> um, you know, the, the most important thing I've hit on a little bit is to read all information prior to it. 
make sure you go in ready. If you look at it like a, a boxing match, you want to make sure you've got your hands taped and the gloves on tight. So how you okay. do that is by reading all the assessments, all the teacher's notes you have. If you have a parental communication model that goes back and forth, read it. Make sure you know what you're talking about before you get in there. That'd be the first thing. Okay. The second thing would be to ask questions. I mean, you're faced with a big group of people that are asking you a ton of questions, trying to get information from you that they've already given you. So, um, you know, if you know what you're doing, like in the first item I talked about, then you're going to be able to ask questions would be number two. And do not hesitate to ask those questions. If you're being bombarded, tell them, hey, slow down. I need to ask questions that are pertinent. I am a team member. Very important. Make that statement. Okay. Uh, the third thing should be th- third thing would be to let your concerns be known. As as your concerns are known, you're going to find out whether or not the team is going to respond to your specific concerns. If they are, stay on the subject until they do. If they do not, well, unfortunately you're starting to head towards that dispute problem. So let's hope that doesn't happen, but that would be, you know, the biggest thing in number three is to make sure your concerns are known. So, you know, and then you want to make sure they're addressed. Okay, if your concerns are not addressed, you would want to let the team know, I brought up these following concerns and these wants, because you may want your child to have more SLP, more speech-language pathology, um, more occupational therapy or OT. You may want your child to have more of some other service. Um, who knows? It all depends on the individual pro- program for that individual child. So make sure that, that they are addressed, and if they haven't been, let the team know. These need to be addressed. We're not going to have a signed IEP until we have these things addressed. And, you know, to sum it all up, and never, the fifth thing would be is if these things are not addressed, make sure you know what to do if they're not. You don't want to go ahead and sign off on an IEP you don't agree with. In the state of California, for example, you can sign off on part of the IEP, saying, I agree with these items and I disagree with this. In almost every other state, you have to either sign it or not. If you don't sign it, one of two things will happen. Either nothing, and they'll move forward with it without your consent, which is not legal. Or the second thing will happen is a district will actually file a due process against the parent to force the IEP. And that's not uncommon. District filed due processes are on the rise. They've increased by over 100% in just the last year alone from the stats I have from, from the state of California. And though in continue to increase as attorneys are heavily involved in defending school districts to keep their costs down, which I find pathetic because that's the cost of educating children that need help. You know, so as we have this this input from attorneys telling uh, school districts, hey, you know, you don't have to deal with them complaining, just file a district due process and they'll go away. Well, that's a very true statement. Most parents that don't have representation will do that. They'll go away once right. they get this scary and, notice right. in the mail. So I, I would say to, to sum up things real quick, those would be the five points I'd make. I'm sorry, to sum up things real quick, what? Those would be the five points that I okay. would make. 
Excellent. And I have a question. Of course, I have lots of questions. So, <laughs> um, okay. can discipline be something that you bring up? Oh, like the, definitely. You know, the, the way in which your child is allowed to be restrained or not restrained. Um, all of that stuff that you hear all the time, is this something you can bring up at the IEP IEP, and that you can discuss to make rules Most about? definitely. An IEP should include, if a child's been restrained, disciplined at all, it should, it's not a should, an IEP must include either what's called a BIP, a Behavior Intervention Plan, which I personally don't like. In California, we do what's known as a BSP, a Behavior Support Plan which supports the behaviors that are negative by turning them into positive. It actually creates a plan to, to handle the negative behaviors and turn it into a positive. Where the BIP is more of an intervention, and the BIP in multiple states will end in restraint or put, being put into a room away from others or a cool-down room. They stay away from those words we know very well, such as, seclusion, timeout cells, and illegal restraint. When there is no nothing within the BIP or IEP that says to restrain, restraining a child other than a severe health and safety situation that they can prove without doubt would harm the child or another child is illegal. Put a child in seclusion and have it not be in an IEP or in a BIP is also illegal. I have a case that's specific to exactly this. It's an open docket right now, and it's a real fight. But we're not going to quit fighting on that one. I mean, I have another case where they've actually put the child in seclusion after the filing of a due process. So the child should be in state put. The brick wall should be in front of him. Instead, it's not. They've removed it and put the child into a one-on-one -on -one classroom by himself, away from all of their students, and expect the kid to be okay. So, I mean, districts will do a ton of things, and one of the biggest things they'll do is, is really try to skirt around that, that restraint and seclusion aspect. Okay, and we have rights, and we should speak them out, and we should make sure it's written in stone and, and get support if we have any suspicions. Um, I want to add something to your, to your list. Um, just, just a personal thing that I came against, which is, Use your words carefully because I remember there was a time when I was meeting with everybody and I used the word aggression and I, or aggressive, be aggressive, and I meant be assertive. And, uh, you know, I sometimes get my words confused anyway. So here I am. I'm saying be aggressive and they're making a file on me that I'm, I'm trying to say, you know, be harmful to my child. And it turned into a big mess for a short while. And so just choose your words very carefully and be very clear when you speak because it, they do write it down and make a little file and turn it into a problem, correct? That is very correct. I'd like to add a short thing to that. And this is very pertinent for probably your, most of, of your audience. Facebook posts are admissible in court. And that includes administrative law court. So if you end up in a situation where you're not agreeing with your, with your IEP, the last thing you want to do is go on to a social media network, such as Facebook or LinkedIn or wherever you go, and start typing away about it. Because one thing that I do continually is have to go to Facebook friends and delete people that I know are 
fake accounts, and it's nothing more than a school district attorney having their one of their paralegals or what have you peering in onto that, trying to get information, which they're not going to get from me because I already know the law. But parents themselves will will expose their whole situation, how they feel about it. He said, she said stuff. All right there. And it's really important for people to know that they're putting an imprint for life under the World Wide Web about what's going on. And districts will and do use those posts constantly in motions and what have you against the parents. So it's something that everybody should know. That is really important, actually, especially when you said knowing that certain people are fake. I mean, I just, when they're fake, I just ignore them, <laughs> you know, but... Yeah, that would be something to be careful of. I never thought of it that way. I thought they were just people fishing trying to get a green card, you know. So um, I have to probably delete a few myself as soon as we hang up. Uh, okay, so um, two more things that I want to hit on. One is moving. So if you feel like you're up against it, moving slash homeschooling. So let's say you feel like you're up against it. You're in this situation. Nothing's working for your child. Um, can can you just move out of the problem, um, or can you just take them out of the school system entirely and just switch to homeschooling? Well, I mean, parents have that choice. Um, if they're going to homeschool, um, there's a thing called a PSA, or a private school affidavit. Normally that needs to be filed with your Department of Education or whatever your state calls that entity. It's called an SEA, or a State Education Agency which is your, for example, the California Department of Education or in Texas, the Texas Education Agency, and on and on. Every state has a different name for it. So you want to make sure that you've filed the right paperwork with the State Department of Education, letting them know that you are going to homeschool. In California, we do the PSA, and that's that, or, or the private school affidavit, and that's done in multiple states. And then an important thing to do also is to, if you're going to go with homeschool, is to hook up with uh, an agency or something online that provides a curriculum. So you have a curriculum that's already approved. And you're working off something that you can say, hey, you know, I am homeschooling with my own curriculum and I'm adding this to it. Um, I've done everything correct. And, and you don't have any problems with your homeschool. You know, the other option is the site. Um, and we know all about that. It does the due process, and who somebody gets to help them is their choice. The other, the other situation is moving. I mean, that's sort of a big thing to do, but it's not something I haven't seen done. I've had multiple clients over the past 18 years pack it up and move to another state. It's literally yeah. their only choice. Yeah. To move out of a place, I mean, you've got Florida that's got the Baker Act, where the excuse me, immediately um, a child can be taken from their parents, can be put into uh, some type of, uh, of hold, like a 5150 or a three-day hold, uh, and then put into a special school without parental consent. So I've seen many parents leave uh, states like Florida, Georgia, Texas, you know, some of our problematic states. Illinois is no exception. I mean, there's so many that I couldn't sit here and list them all. It's like half the states in the country. Um, you know, but I, I think that moving has to be a personal choice, and I would think that someone would exhaust many of the remedies that are available first in trying to resolve. Well, unless you think that, you know, you're going to have your child 
taken for three days because somebody's trying to cover their butt. But I mean, yes, that's why I looked you know, Florida. <laughs> I made that clear about the baker because that is a big concern of parents in Florida when they have a child that has behavioral difficulties. And let's face it, our kids with autism have them. You know, I mean, I, I really don't know of any other parent, and I know thousands and thousands of parents, and I've, I've never ran across one that didn't have any behavioral problems at all with their child with autism. No, you won't, and you're not going <laughs> to. You're not going to run across <laughs> one of those because the definition of autism is <laughs> I'm really confused exactly. and I'm acting out. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it's something that should be expected. And it's sad that what happens, you know, in one state right now, I'm dealing with a district that's moving into their second manifestation determination hearing, you know. And when they do these manifestation hearings, what they're looking at, and it's a different type of due process, what they're looking at is they're looking at the child's behavior and whether or not the, the disability caused it or whether or not the district failed on their end or the child just acted out. And it's sad to see that school districts will literally go on a witch hunt after certain children and will continually hold these hearings knowing the child's diagnosed with things like autism, uh, ID, epilepsy. I mean, a child that's seven or eight years old that has autism, epilepsy, and, and is uh, intellectually delayed, how possibly could it not be the diagnosis that's causing their behaviors. Exactly. We all know it is, but for some reason, some districts love to hold these hearings, and then what happens is we do a due process process that's called an appeal against that hearing because in the finality of the manifestation, what they do is they take the child and place them for 45 days into a school that has severely emotionally disturbed children in it. So our kids with autism go out and learn more bad behaviors because they displayed one in school. Right. No, that I mean, makes like, sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't sense make to me sense. either. No matter what I do, it doesn't make sense at all. I, I have to scratch my head and wonder, why are they doing this? But what does make sense is that, unfortunately, a certain element of legal professionals are making money off of this. They're not in nonprofits like I am. They're not looking to help parents without any funds coming from the parents whatsoever. They're looking to make their $350 an hour and fill out as many hours as possible. So if they can throw a manifestation hearing into the middle of the due process, they will. And I'm prepared. I'm very prepared for them. The last one ended with the district in fault for failing to follow the behavior intervention plan. And... Just about all in that way, either in appeal or in the actual manifestation review. Because let's face it, our, our kids have have behaviors, and they're based exactly on the disability. And when when it comes down to it, that's generally the finding. So oh, and you know, time. and a very a very clear example of that would be a seizure. If Somebody has a seizure. You know, seizures aren't always the classic seizure, which I'm sure you're well aware of seizures given mm-hmm. your situation. But, you know, you don't always fall down and froth at the mouth and get rigid and do all that. Sometimes you have an anger seizure and you act out and you mm-hmm. throw everything or you wander in a circle smashing stuff or you just, you know, or you just drool and hit yourself and then you're done. And so a seizure can look 
like a behavior. And if they're, if they're then doing some kind of a restraint or a, a, you know, trying to teach a lesson for something where the child's actually mentally absent for a few seconds, you know, it just doesn't make sense. They need to know what they're dealing with more clearly than they often you do. Know, it gets even worse because what you, what you just explained is what's commonly missed in diagnostics as a temporal lobe epilepsy. With temporal lobe epilepsy, a seizure does not manifest in the rapid movements and the struggle of, of muscle, muscles against each other. Instead, it manifests in behavior. The child will generally have reddened cheeks and reddened earlobes. They will come out in the most aggressive type of behavior you could possibly imagine. After that behavior is over, what's so classic, the child won't even remember what they did. Right. When, when you see that, it's very important with a child that has autism to get them to the neurologist, make sure an EEG is done, and there's not temporal lobe epilepsy there. And so, yeah, a good 24-hour EEG, too, because they miss it often. Yeah, the, actually, the 72 is the way to go. The three-day okay. study normally is needed for temporal lobe epilepsy or another, another uh, diagnosis called MTLE, where there's some sclerosis of, the, of those temporal lobes. And, you know, when, when TLE strikes with a child with autism, immediately it's thought that the child is having behaviors, they're breaking rules, etc., and instead they're seizing. And what gets even more intense is when, when some type of restraint is used and there is some rigidity in the muscles, it can injure the child. It's like when you restrain an adult. I have epilepsy. If somebody restrains me, it equates to what I'm awaiting right now. I have three torn ab muscles from being held down during a seizure. Now, I can't get mad at somebody for holding me down, so I didn't, you know, bang my head real bad or something like that. This was about a year ago, you know. But, but what it equated to was three of my abs being torn. So right. if you take that and look at a small child being held down by a large adult and it's a seizure and not a behavior, the injury could be intense. And then you Very. can have a child that doesn't know how to tell us what's wrong, so more behaviors come because they're hurting. So I, right. I think that you hit on a really good subject there. Right, and we could probably go for a long time, but we're out of time. So what we need to do, <laughs> we need to do a few things. Um, one is... This is a story show, so I need at least one story, whether it's a story from raising your child or something quick that really um, sort of hammers in the IEP, which is what we mostly focused on, um, and then your info if, if people want to get a hold of you. Okay. Well, if people want to get a hold of me, there's, there's several different ways. <laughs> um, they can they can do it by internet. They can do it by Facebook. You know, um, generally nowadays that's the way it's done. Um, if somebody just wants to make a, a, a quick toll free call, they can do that too. Uh, my number is eight five five three six zero IDEA. So basically, it's a three sixty on the IDEA. All right. <laughs> that's the, that's a toll free number, so anybody can call at any time if they have a question. Uh, my email address is 50k reasons, like 50,000 reasons at gmail.com. So I can be emailed at any time to give one of the 50,000 reasons why we need to stand up to school districts. 
<laughs> so um, getting a hold of me isn't too hard. We found on Facebook under Mike's Epilepsy. It's an open profile in public, so anybody can just type that right into their search bar and find it. Um, and it's important to know that there are others out there, and people should choose who they feel comfortable with. Um, I don't know anybody else that works nationwide, um, but I do. I, I handle cases in just about any state. There's four states that don't allow us specifically, unless you are an attorney, you, you can't be in those states. But, you know, in the other states, uh, I have no problem doing telephonic um, IEPs, and it, it does go into due process. I, I'm not needed to be there until the actual hearing date. Everything else can be done telephonically. Awesome. Now tell us one IEP story. And I love happy stories, so it could have a good ending. Okay, here's a great IEP story with a good ending. Um, I had an IEP recently that I was in uh, where a child had been failed for quite some time to be actually identified as autistic. And literally, the district started in September of this school year attempting in their own odd way to come up with a diagnosis. Now, normally we do an assessment, get the assessment, and that would tell us. Uh, This district was a little backwards and a little slow. It took a little while to finally come to getting the assessment. They got it. So we held multiple IETs. Finally, we went over their assessment. It did have the diagnosis of autism on it, which did allow us to put together a plan. And after nearly seven hours of an IEP, a record-breaking IEP, <laughs> um, we, we actually got a plan in place, signed by the parent, and the child has a program. Now, I mean, that easily could have ended up in due process, very easily. There were so many different uh, areas of both the state and federal laws. So many statutes broken, it was unreal. Uh, I could have filed 20 different state complaints, taken them to due process, but what that would have done is put that brick wall of state put up. So again, I really emphasize on trying to resolve everything possibly that we can. I mean, if there is something that is a complaint that can be resolved, you know, sometimes I have to step back, get away from being so upset and come back into it. So sometimes an IEP needs to be reset and started over again. But All I right, and Ed. I would love to give you input on their positive story, so I'll refer them to you. Yes, please refer them. Maybe we'll have them on. Um, thank you. Mike, you're so full of information. We might have to circle back around to you sometime and, and talk about something else. But Mike Robinson of the Coalition for the Rights of Disabled People, Office of Special Education Proceedings, fantastic guest. I so appreciate you giving us your information and helping us sort of ferret our way through. And if you live in Florida, move. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you. Wow, so that was Mike Robinson. You know, I was um, listening to him, and I mean, he's fantastic and full of information. Uh, Very thrilled to find out that there's federal reality in the IEP, and then, you know, of course, every state gets to put their stamp on it. All right, so let's see if we – he answered the question right at the beginning of the show, so I don't really have to answer the question, but I do have to do what I always promise to do, which is stories from the 
Oh, stories are piling into my head. One is about a child that I've worked with a lot of times, and they're on their way to move to Florida, and I want to send them a quick email. But I'm not going to tell you that story. Let me see. Um, another one that's in my mind is a boy that I worked with who just had a deteriorating situation at school. He just got worse and got worse and got worse and got worse, and everybody just kept trying to work that IEP and work that, you know, that relationship and everything. And and they started keeping him in a fenced-in area in the backyard, and they started. It was a movable fence, so they made it smaller and smaller and smaller. And it reminded me of the way you keep your dogs outside. And I'm not going to tell you that story, but it's really bad. Um, with a good ending. I'm going to tell you instead a very personal story. Um, I sort of alluded to it already, but way back when um, my kids were in school, uh, there was a, a period, and that's why I asked the question about moving, because there was a period where I was really having a problem with one of my sons, and I was feeling like it's not working. Something's really not working. And I was going and talking to the teachers, and I'm talking to the administrators, and, and finally the special, the person in charge of the special ed uh, IEP section came over. It wasn't IEP then, it was Canada. They had a different word for it. But anyway, she came over to me, and she said, I'm going to say something to you, and then I'm going to never admit I said it. And I said, okay. And she said, we can't do anything about the situation. You should move and walked away. And I'm like, oh dear. So I'm going to give you a couple of, of bits and pieces of this. I had heard um, that my son was being taken into a small room on just on the side of the library and that banging noises were happening from inside. And that, But whenever anyone would check, nothing was happening and then they'd hear yelling and banging and then someone would check and nothing was happening and my son started hitting himself more and more and things were going on and um, and when she came up to me and she said that it was like somebody opened a window and showed me the way out so I'm not telling you that moving's the only way and, and you know I agree if you can settle it you can settle it but don't forget about moving just don't forget about that Whenever I watch a movie and you see these people stuck in the ghetto and they're, you know, they're, they're all sitting around going, oh my gosh, and you know, the drugs and the shootings and the stabbings, and I'm like, get on a subway and get out of the ghetto. Move. It's really that easy sometimes. Now, are the details difficult? Yes. Is it drastic, a big choice? Does it change your whole life? Yes. But that's the point. It changes your whole life. So, maybe you can't move unless it's absolutely necessary. But don't get so lost in the problem that you have a big brick wall in your head. When there is no option, move. All right, that's it. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And this is a new spin on autism. Answers, move. Thank you for being here because without you, I'd just be talking to myself. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. 
You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to our Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of A New Spin on Autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear you.